Dead Air by Scott Overton. Previously in Dead Air, befriending the young woman Nadia has stalled Lee Garrett's search for the people trying to kill him until a breakthrough from an unexpected source. Now, Chapter 24. In the movies, there would have been a surge of suspenseful music as the man under suspicion looked up and realized that his cover was blown. He would have waited until the good guy was out of sight, snatched up the phone, and contacted his leader for instructions. The desk clerk at the Crown looked as bored as ever, never raising his eyes from his book as Lee walked through the lobby, not suspicious and clearly not worried about being caught by the boss. Lee turned the corner toward the stairs, scuffled his way noisily up them, opened the door at the top, then slid back down the metal handrail and watched the reflection of the lobby in a brass plate on the wall. The clerk hadn't moved. The only other thing at the bottom of the stairwell was a battered Coke machine. If someone came, Lee could pretend to be buying a drink, but the less traffic, the better. He hunched down to wait, blowing quietly into his hands to warm them. He'd taken the old man to the Salvation Army shelter, where the new guest had looked as comfortable as a mechanic in a tuxedo. There was nothing Lee could do to stop the man returning to his spot by the dry cleaners as soon as the weather turned milder. Bringing him to the hotel room was a non-starter, not least because Lee might not be there himself for much longer, with any luck. He looked at the brass plate. The clerk was like a statue. Even if the old man was right and the guy had neo-Nazi friends, there was no guarantee he was connected to the attacks on Lee. It was simply the only lead available. An older Italian man from the second floor flung open the door and descended the stairs, limping. He cast a scowl at Lee, who was fishing through his pockets in front of the Coke machine, then moved on into the lobby. The man always wore a scowl. The noise from the vending machine's refrigeration equipment quickly drowned out his footsteps. That might mean Lee wouldn't hear any conversation from the front desk, either. But there was nowhere else to hide close to the lobby. He waited through four hours, playing out his coin-hunting act for three more guests. His legs were cramping, his bladder had complained for the past hour and a half. He'd have to do something about it before much longer. The clerk would probably be taking a dinner break soon. If it happened while Lee was in the john, he'd miss a good opportunity to search the desk. Or if the guy left the building to eat while someone else covered for him, Lee would have to follow. The thought of walking out into that cold with his kidneys backing up was intolerable. The phone rang. The clerk answered it, but his lips moved soundlessly. Lee cursed at the noisy compressor of the Coke machine to stop. It did. The clerk's voice had lost some of its boredom. A personal call, obviously. Lee watched the reflection. There! The man had furtively glanced around the lobby to make sure there was no one else around. He kept talking, but fewer than half the words were loud enough to reach the stairwell. Tonight? Don't know. Off late. Where? He scribbled something on a memo pad with the desk pen, then tore off the page and stuffed it into his pocket. Sure. Friends? Sure. No way. Right, right. The man hung up took another look around the lobby, then settled back into his chair and picked up his paperback. Lee knew what he needed to do, but would it work? He made a show of loudly swinging the door open and tramping down the stairs into the lobby. He was rewarded by a sour look as the clerk put down his novel. Yes? I was thinking I might pay for a couple of weeks in advance. How much is it? 
the man muttered an amount. Lee reached for the pad and pen, wrote the number at the very bottom of the top page, and pretended to do the math. That works out to the same rate as paying by the day, he said indignantly, tearing off the page and waving it. What a surprise, the clerk said. We don't get a lot of customers who stay that long, so no discounts. Sorry. He sounded anything but sorry as he picked up his book. Forget it, then. Lee stalked away and hurried to his room. The movie trick worked. Shading the empty part of the page with pencil brought out some faint words and numbers. After five minutes of playing with the possibilities, he was pretty sure it read, Seven o'clock, Kane's Gym, P-something block, 86 Montclair. The street number might have been 88, but Kane's Gym? Maybe the guy was just planning to meet a friend for a workout. He didn't look the type. The name twigged something in Lee's memory. Wasn't Kane's going out of business? Something like that. No, had already gone out of business. It was in receivership. Lee remembered a fuss when the owner suddenly locked the doors, leaving paid-up members howling for their money back. An unused building, like Davis had said to look for. Now he had to find it, and figure out how to watch it without freezing to death. He wandered for blocks before he saw the worn letters etched into a soot-stained wall, Pit Block. Characterless and gray, there was nothing to distinguish it from any other building in the downtown core. The basement and ground floor windows had black steel gratings over them, years old. The gym facilities were mostly in the basement, according to the sign at the front. That wouldn't have helped their business. Feeling motivated to exercise required lots of light, not the feeble illumination that would filter through those barred and dirty panes of glass. In the evening darkness, he was pretty sure the shadows of an alley across the street would hide him. The downside was that he wouldn't see worth a damn. He'd be lucky to recognize a face. A hot air vent like at the dry cleaners would have been welcome, too. He was cold before he got into position. Leaning against a wall sapped his warmth even faster. Some mistake out. The thought reminded him of Cheryl Davis. Maybe he should call her. Except he didn't have the slightest proof that the long shot would turn up anything. Even if the message was about a meeting of white supremacists, they might not have any connection to the Skins gang he was trying to find. There were lots of racists, lots of fanatics, lots of wackos. They didn't all hang out together. But if he did hit pay dirt, he was making a hell of a dangerous play. By seven o'clock, no more than a dozen people had walked by, and none of them approached the pit building. Worse, the deepening cold forced people to draw their heads down into their shoulders, turn their collars up, or pull on a hood. The clerk at the Crown could walk right by, and Lee might not recognize him. Had he been wrong about the meeting time? Where were the people, even one or two? The solution hit him like a cuff on the head. A back door! There had to be a back door! Cursing his stupidity, he paused just long enough for a quick scan of the street, then hurried across and slid into an alley beside the pit block. Of course they couldn't use the front entrance. The building was supposed to be abandoned. How could he have missed that? He moved cautiously into the swelling darkness between the walls, trusting that even muggers would be staying in out of the cold. The greater risk was if the neo-Nazis had posted lookouts ahead of him in the dark. He had to take that chance. His fingers and toes were getting numb. There was a glow of light at ground level just ahead of him. With its help, he narrowly avoided some trash cans and skirted a pile of discarded wood slats, it was a window into the basement. His first glimpse of the far wall caught a set of what looked like chin-up bars. Kane's gym. Another foot to the left, he was able to see down into the room. His breath caught. 
Twenty people or more sat in untidy rows of stackable chairs, flanked on either side by a few weight benches and a pair of stationary bicycles. They all looked to be men, but he couldn't be certain. Their backs were turned to him. Only one stood facing the group. He concentrated on the features. Of course! The young punk who'd taunted him at the United Way luncheon, Van Horn. He blew a cloud of steam into the air and its golden color warned him. He slid back. Definitely not a good idea to have his face lit up by the window. As he shifted, something red caught his eye. He put his cheek against the wall and strained to see into the near corner of the room. It was a Nazi flag. The air leaked out of him as he slumped against the wall. It was all real. Not an article in a magazine or a juicy TV show topic. Even the attempts on his life hadn't prepared him. Evil had suddenly become a tangible force. He began to shiver. What now? Was this enough evidence? He'd already been convinced that Van Horn was a white supremacist, but there was still nothing to prove the kid had been part of the attacks. He risked another look into the window. Near the end of the front row, a blonde head caught his eye, with a profile that seemed maddeningly familiar, but he couldn't place it. A few other faces offered glimpses from time to time. None were people he knew. What evidence would be enough? A blackboard presentation of the Lee Garrett solution? He struggled to his feet. He had to get somewhere warm and find a phone. The nearest was in a bar about a block away. He picked his way carefully through the alley and staggered down the street. The blast of warmth as he lurched through the door of the bar was almost painful. Thankfully, the phone booth was in a corner near the front. It wasn't the kind of place he wanted to be overheard phoning a cop. He called Davis's cell phone, but got her voicemail. There was no choice but to leave a message. He could dial 911, but a patrol car screaming to the scene would only scatter the neo-Nazis and erase what might be his last chance to turn the tables on his tormentors. He tried a call to the police station. Davis wasn't there. He spent five minutes dictating a message and pleading with the duty officer to get it to her somehow. The man sounded annoyed by the time he hung up. Lee groaned. If Davis didn't get the message, the best lead they'd had would come to a dead end. Bad choice of words. He should get back to the alley. The meeting might break up any time. But he wasn't up to it yet. He shuffled to the bar and ordered a coffee. The bartender gave a sour look at his trembling hand, probably thought he had the DTs. Lee's first gulp was too ambitious and burned his mouth, but he held the hot mug in his hands like a precious relic. No point going back too soon and freezing before Davis got there. She'd know what to do. He desperately hoped she'd know what to do. He sat on the bar stool trying to get his shakes under control. The coffee mug was empty and still he sat there. He had to get moving. But he couldn't. Not yet. He couldn't. He was terrified. The thump of the bartender's fist on the bar in front of him shook him out of his reverie. You want another coffee? Or a real drink? Lee shook his head and lurched off the stool toward the door. He hesitated again, thinking of the ravenous cold that waited for him. And worse... He tried to picture his life on the other side of the door and saw nothing but fog. His guts lurched. Then, as his resolve was about to fail, a form appeared in the mist of his mind. Candace. He pushed open the door. The alley was even darker than before, his night vision ruined by the light in the bar. His ears strained for any sign that Davis had arrived. There was nothing. He carefully made his way back to the window, cringing when he kicked a tin can, but there was no sound in response. A quick glance confirmed there were still people in the basement. For how much longer? 
Then he heard voices. Davis, he called softly. He moved quickly toward the end of the alley to meet her, stepped into the light. It was the clerk from the Crown Hotel. You! The man's face contorted. He wasn't alone. Lee registered two other bulky forms as he turned to run. The darkness was near total between the walls. He bowled into the trash cans and sprawled painfully on the ground. The sound of running steps was joined by the clank of something metal dragged back and forth across the window bars. An alert. Fear lifted him to his feet just as bodies came swarming around the corner ahead of him like ants. He didn't even try to resist. They hauled him back to the mouth of the alley where the desk clerk was waiting. Van Horn was with him. "'That's Lee Garrett!' he gasped. The name rippled through the crowd and they surged forward. The thugs holding Lee yanked him back against the nearby wall, cracking his skull on the rough concrete. "'Garrett!' Van Horn snarled. "'You bring stupidity to a whole new level coming here. But I think we can show you the error of your ways.' Spittle flecked Lee's cheek. The fanatic was working himself up to something. Lee saw the fist coming, but there was nothing he could do. It cracked into his mouth like a hammer, and the wall behind his head gave no room to move with the blow. Stars exploded in his brain. He slumped like a sack, eyes half-closed. He sensed the second swing just in time to snap his head to the side, and the fist glanced off his temple. There was a shriek of pain and a string of curses, some skin lost from knuckles against the concrete wall, but Lee couldn't take pleasure from it. The injury would just inflame the punk's rage. Light flashed off steel, sharp steel, a knife blade. So the bad guys had won, after all. He braced himself for the pain. Police! Put your hands in the air! His captors froze. Lee sagged in relief. Don't move! I am armed! Davis's voice echoed through the blackness of the alley. The mob shifted, but not far. A tall man swung his arm in a semicircle, and a handful of bodies at the street melted into the night. Lee looked toward her voice and willed his eyes to penetrate the darkness. Finally he could make out a vague outline, arms extended in front. Where were the rest of the cops? Good Christ, she couldn't have come alone! Davis waved the gun. Let him go and back away with your hands in the air! The goons holding him shifted, then stopped. It was only an automatic reaction to authority, short-lived. They still had the numbers. They still held the power. Standoff. I said let him go, Davis tried again, but this time there was no reaction at all. A nod from Van Horn signaled his companions to pull Lee from the wall and turn him toward the policewoman, a hostage, a shield. Lee looked into her face and watched his last flame of hope guttering out. There was movement in the shadows. They'd circled the building. Davis, behind you! She reacted. The end of a two-by-four bounced off the wall above her head. As she leapt across the alley, the gunshot was shockingly loud, booming back and forth between the walls for an eternity. The next bullet is for the next one who moves, she screamed. Still, Lee sensed bodies crowding behind him. They weren't going to stop. They thought they could use him to get close to her. Rage exploded in him. Enough, he roared. Are all of you really prepared to die for this fancy-ass pretty boy behind me? He felt a grinding pain in the kidney, but it was only a fist, not the knife, not yet. The alley became a tableau. Van Horn yelled, What are you waiting for? But they were already working that out for themselves. Maybe he wasn't as well-liked as he'd thought. Lee tried to ignore his terror and think of other words that would turn the tide. Then suddenly they weren't necessary. The walls were awash with flashing blue light. 
The grip on his arms was gone. His assailants began to scatter. Without thinking, he spun around and launched into a flying tackle. There was one of these bastards who wasn't getting away. Van Horn came down hard on the pavement. Lee scrambled to his knees and rolled the man onto his back. Blood poured from the battered nose and a torn cheek. Lee drove his fist into the stunned face with all the force of his outrage. Again and again, the head lolled from side to side. His arm was grabbed and held firm. Don't, Lee. We've got him. He nodded and knelt, panting. His hand began to hurt like hell. After cuffing the wrists of the man on the ground, the detective helped Lee to his feet. Davis, your timing is incredible. I think I love you. Lee, I thought you'd had it. She looked him over. You okay? I'm okay, thanks to you, but I don't know if you're brave or crazy. I called for backup as I was leaving home, but when I got here I saw that I couldn't wait. You're right about that. He began to tell her everything. The story was interrupted by a pair of uniformed cops. The cruisers are full, ready to roll, one of them said to Davis. Forensics has been notified. One cruiser will stay just around the corner in case you need them. Good work. Take this loser, too. Van Horn was a mess. The patrolman gave a sour look. That face calls for some pictures and some paperwork, he said. Promise you'll testify that we didn't do that to him. He gave a sheepish grin. I'd be glad to. Lee tried to smile, but his mouth hurt too much. Van Horn turned his eyes on Lee, full of venom. You've got nothing on me he snarled. Davis stepped close. Try to be that cocky when lawyers have eaten up all of Mummy and Daddy's allowance money and each new cellmate decides you're just his type. His face blanched. The uniforms led him away. Lee was disturbed to see the blue light fade to black. It had meant rescue, life. He couldn't suppress a shudder. Jesus, you're freezing, Davis said. Come on, we'll wait for forensics in my car. It's just down the block. He nodded wearily and looked down to pull his coat tighter. When he looked up, they weren't alone. Davis! This time her reflexes weren't enough. The long bar of angle iron caught her head a glancing blow, sending her sprawling against the far wall to crumple like a broken doll. Lee staggered back a step as Ken Cousins stepped into the light. A surprise for you, radio star? The silken voice had a ragged edge. You, with Van Horn? Cousins grunted. You think a mama's boy like that could write his name without somebody to hold his dick for him? Couldn't even finish off a woman cop. For Christ's sake, Ken, think about what you're doing. If she dies, the cops will never stop looking for you. And how are they going to prove it? The smile framed perfect teeth. On your testimony? Somehow I don't think you'll be around to give it. Without warning, he gave the sharp-edged bar a vicious swing. Lee flung himself blindly backward, heard the swoop of the steel as its tip plucked at the front of his coat, and tumbled painfully over a pair of trash cans. He scrambled frantically to his feet. The bar was already swinging again. He dodged, but it struck agony through his left arm. His feet skidded on a loose board, and he fell hard to his knees. Cousins raised the bar over his head like an axe. "'You're no match for me, Garrett. You sit on your ass all day,' he growled through gritted teeth, instead of staying in shape.' With the last word he brought the bar whistling down, but the hesitation had given Lee time to snatch up a trash can and use it as a shield. The blow made a thundering crash that vibrated every bone in his body, denting the metal inches deep and rocking him onto his back. Another blow, blocked again. The bar swept upward. 
Desperately, Lee flung the can end-first at Cousin Shin's. It was just enough to throw off the man's aim and give Lee a chance to roll clear. He staggered to the nearest wall, rasping for breath. Cousins was right. He was years younger, stronger, faster, not a middle-aged professional talker. Lee's left arm was on fire with the pain, almost useless. "'More cops will be here any minute,' he wheezed. "'Why hadn't the noise drawn the ones down the street?' If you mean the bozos in the cruiser, some of the gang lured them away. Nobody's coming to save you, Garrett. Cousins began to slowly advance again. You sent me the note? You're you're a member of the Skins? Give me a fucking break. The Skins are brain-dead gangbangers. I don't need their help. I don't even need Van Horn and his moron followers, but they're useful sometimes. Lee nearly tripped over a piece of wood. He snatched it up, but it was no match for hard steel. Cousins laughed. Pathetic. I only wish my brother could see you now. What do you mean? You wouldn't know and wouldn't give a shit if you did, Cousins hissed. He was a great kid, hell of a football player, screwed up, sure, but he didn't deserve to die, except he did die, thanks to you. Lee looked at the ground, feeling sick. The kid who killed himself. That's why you've always hated me. Hating you was easy. Cousin's body snapped around, and the bar carved a savage arc through the air. Lee just had time to raise his board, only to feel it splinter with a sickening crack nearly broken in two. He skipped away again, tripping over a cardboard box. His hand still throbbed from the vibration of the metal can as it was rung like a bell, if even one of those blows caught him full strength. An idea flashed into his mind like a thunderbolt. Before he could hesitate, he pushed away from the wall with a grunt into the middle of the alley, toward his enemy. Cousins smiled. A little man with delusions of grandeur. I knew it. Or do you just want to get it over with? Glad to help. He adjusted his grip on the bar and drew it back past his shoulder like a batter at the plate. Lee paused to give him that time, then stood, feet apart, watching for the first twitch of a muscle. Cousins wasn't about to give his prey a chance to rest. The shoulders twisted. Lee stepped quickly to his right and faked a move as if to jump onto a high crate against the wall, then threw himself flat. It was a vicious slice, a home-run swing, adjusted upward to where its target should have been. The whistle of its passage was terrifying. Then it connected full force with the block wall. The crashing clang was like a train wreck in the frigid air. Cousins howled with pain and the bar clanked to the ground. Lee launched forward with a gasped breath. Cousins shifted at the last second to protect his groin, but the furious kick landed solidly in the man's stomach. Breath exploded from him. Lee brought his knee into the gagging face. It was a weak blow, but still knocked his attacker sprawling toward the mouth of the alley, directly between Lee and Cheryl Davis, and Davis's gun. He groaned, wretchedly weary, staggered forward, and prepared to leap over the dark form writhing on the ground. An arm shot out and wrapped around his ankles, toppling him like a felled tree. He skidded across the pavement, cracked his skull cruelly on a concrete block. The lamp-lit walls of the alley swam through a bright haze of pain. So it ends, he thought, helpless in a pool of dim light on a garbage-strewn strip of asphalt. Cousins was on his feet, but bent nearly double. His wheezing filled the night. He retrieved the fallen bar of steel and stumbled forward. Lee had to move. But he couldn't. The impact on his head had turned his muscles to water. He could only watch death approach. Cousins raised the bar, then thought better of it and circled, casting a quick glance toward the street. 
Better that no potential witnesses see the killing strike land. He was in no hurry now, rasping breath through a hideous grin, until finally he stood where he wanted to, his back to the street. His shadow stretched across the limp form on the ground, all as it should be. He raised the deadly bar. Thunder split the night. It reverberated through the air, rolling, booming, down the alley and back again, waves of sound crashing into each other and flailing against the walls, echoing, echoing, then finally, slowly, dying away. Cousins pitched forward, cannoned into scattered filth, and lay still. In disbelief, Lee stared at the prone form, then turned his head to see Davis's outstretched hand and the gleaming gun. He summoned all his strength and crawled to her side. "'Are you all right?' he panted. "'I'll let you know,' she moaned. "'You? Barely a scratch.' He pulled himself closer to examine her wound. He couldn't see how bad it was. There was too much blood. He said so. "'Scalp wounds bleed like hell sometimes,' the woman whispered. "'Probably, probably not as bad as it looks.' The words cost her a painful effort. She licked her lips. "'Call for help. My car radio. Keys are in my right pocket.' She tried to smile, but without success. If that bastard so much as moves, it'll be his last. Go! He went. He remembered a lesson from the movies and declared an officer was down. That got their attention. The dispatcher wanted him to stay on the radio, but he refused. He repeated their location again, then hurried back to the alley, back to his friend. He knew better than to let her move, but he had to cover her and keep her warm, and keep her talking. He had to keep her awake. Help's on the way. It won't be long. Just hang on. He tried to think of something to say that would demand a response. I guess you spoiled your record of never firing your gun on the job. I can live with that. He saw her lip quiver, from shock or cold or both. He lay beside her on the ground and wrapped his arms around her. He didn't have much body heat of his own, but whatever was left he owed to her. What would my husband say? She rasped. I wish you'd brought him with you. Lee's teeth began to chatter. We could have used a martial arts expert. She coughed and managed a half-smile. My husband is the sweetest, nicest, hundred-and-sixty-pound math teacher you ever want to meet, she confessed. I just tell that story to all the guys who hit on me. For the first time in so very long, Lee laughed with all his soul. It felt wonderful. Next time, don't miss the conclusion of Dead Air with Chapter 25 and the epilogue. Lee Garrett has faced his enemies and lived to tell about it, only to discover too late that there were more than he knew and his final battle will be to the death. Dead Air is available in print and ebook versions as well as a full audiobook. Get all the details at scottoverton.ca. Thanks for the music to audionautics.com. I'm Scott Overton.